New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 501 and today very pleased to have Bill Bennett back in the seat in the studio. Welcome along Bill. Hi Paul. Great to have you here. Yep, love it. Now, uh, episode 501, today we are going to talk a bit about gadgets. There's some, I guess, some you know tech industry and sort of sector news as well. There's uh, some delving into some New Zealand topics in the uh, field of uh, education, also updates from the telecommunications forum. We've had all sorts of gadgets uh, flying around the place, including the the brand new uh, Samsung uh, Note 20 Ultra. Uh, so I've been having a bit of a, a play around with, uh, with that one. Uh, we've both had some time with Microsoft's uh, newest, what would you call it, uh, mini Windows tablet, the uh, the Surface Go. Yeah, well, I actually, I mean, I just, I I did a uh, review of that. And I said it's not really a tablet; it's really an ultra portable, uh, or even a two in one, more than a yeah. tablet. But so yeah, so we'll delve delve into uh, that one, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of Jabra's gear and and Jabra. Have been yeah, reasonably well known for a lot of their um, you know Bluetooth headsets, but they've also got a really interesting uh, conferencing camera that I've spent some time uh, looking at, and then a new uh, device from Huawei that uh, that j- just arrived as well. So uh, yeah, lots lots to delve into. Uh, but first up, a huge thank you uh, to all our show partners who make the show possible, um, and they do it in a really nice way because our our partnership arrangement means that they don't actually get any control over our editorial and uh, and if, if they need to be um, held to account then uh, then we do um, but we, they're uh, they're awesome companies and they do a, a huge amount for the tech sector in New Zealand so uh, first up want to thank uh, thank uh, them sumo logic Vodafone New Zealand spark New Zealand vocus HP Samsung gorilla technology and a headline partner umbrella connect so uh, yeah huge thank you to all of those firms for the support that they give to um, technology and, and innovation here in New Zealand and especially for their great um, great support of, of the show uh, and their willingness to uh, sort of operate in that arm's length manner which is uh, you know incredibly generous. So um, let's delve in Bill. Um, Huawei, this is really interesting reading that they're, um, they're saying that they're running out of processes to make their smartphones. So, you know, first of all, they had the the challenge that basically they were, you know, banned from including, you know, the Google Play services, Google Play Store. They're just able to access the open source elements of of Android, and now they're saying, well, actually, you know, we're no longer going to be able to get uh, chips, even even their own chips, uh, because their their chips. Uh, to a most degree, aren't actually made uh, in China. They probably still make some small quantities, but uh, it, it could put a put a largely put an end to their phone business um, and perhaps all their device business. Yeah, the um, in some ways, what's happening with Huawei it resembles what's happened in the past with countries like North Korea and Iraq, where they just shut off from U.S. technology because the chips 
they're not made in the US. The chips that they're using in their phones are actually made in Taiwan by, um, is it TSMC? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, but the thing is, is they're made with US intellectual property in them. So, and, and that's what's not allowed to be transferred. And that's, and that's how it resembles the, the past bans on countries like Iraq and um, North Korea, where they, you know, you're just not allowed any of their IP. The timing's, the timing's very interesting, isn't it? That, well. that you know, you've got this, you know, inc- incredibly, um, you know, I guess it's a sort of an incredible moment for Huawei, where by you know some metrics, they're now the number one smartphone maker in the world. Oh, and, they're definitely and, number and one. This, they're definitely number one in the last quarter. Yes. Yeah. When you look at those numbers, you know, probably quite heavily driven. Well, definitely heavily driven in China because that's that's their main uh, their yeah. their main market. And in China, they don't have the issues that they've had in the rest of the world because people don't use Google Play services no, right. in, in China. So they've been able to continue to, uh, you know, dominate and do well in that market. And you know, we were chatting before we started, and you know, you, you mentioned that during that period, uh, or the, this, you know, this last quarter, I mean, China was largely out of the lockdown that other countries yeah. have been in. Yeah, their economy's not necessarily in the perfect shape, um, but it's been enough for smartphone sales there to to be in a you know in a reasonable state. Well, that's right. I mean, I, I forget the exact numbers, but smartphone sales dropped hugely during that quarter, yeah. year on year, and pretty much what didn't drop was Huawei sales in China, and that's because the shops are open again and people are going out and buying stuff again in China, mm. uh, where in the rest of the world was largely in lockdown and people don't buy phones. And the other thing is you you don't buy phones when you're locked in the house. You know, you might buy a new laptop or a, a PC or whatever, but the phones are about mobility and mobility is something that just wasn't happening in that quarter for most of the world. But in China, of course, it was. And so um, sales just sailed on. Um, so that's largely what happened there. But going back to the, the ban, what we're really seeing is a tightening of the screws by the US on Huawei. And the store is saying that they're going to run out of chips by September. Well, unfortunately for Huawei, the US election, where things may change, isn't until November. I don't think the actual regime changes in the US until January anyway. And it's not going to be the first thing on the agenda of a new president if there's a new president to do that. So, um, so they're you know really it's like the sands of time are running out for their device business, and it's going to be hard to get back back to it afterwards. Even if even if the you know the taps turned on again, it's going to be you know something of a uphill mission to to get back into the game. But I don't think I, I think. Huawei will find a workaround for dealing with China. Um, they'll be able to source chips in from China and so on. The other thing is, is that if the Americans are going to play hardball about in this kind of way, then it's quite possible that because China's always had a a different relationship with the world of IP and intellectual property than the rest of the world. So China, might, China's attitude could be. Well, okay, guys, you won't play ball. We won't do it nicely. Well, in that case, then we won't play nicely with the IP game, and that's a possibility that could come from this. Um, but the other thing it does is it ties. One thing that Huawei has been very keen to make uh, clear to the world 
up until now is how they're not closely tied to the Chinese government. But their future could be more closely tied to the Chinese government. And they've been pushed in that position, ironically, by the US government. So mm-hmm. I don't know, it could be something of an own goal. Because you know, if if the if the Chinese factories start making stuff using American IP but not paying for it, well, you know, what's going to happen there? So it could be an own goal. Yes. Well, there, <laughs> we I think we have uncertain and unusual times ahead in, in so many different areas. I was reading today uh, about. Uh, billionaire media mogul in Hong Kong who's been you know locked up for uh, espousing uh, views in in Hong Kong that uh, lean much more in the direction of democracy than what uh, the Chinese uh, government hoped for so I mean it it is very very unusual times in in so many regards the other thing the other thing we fall into the trap of thinking is that China is like solid and homogenous behind all the behind its current strategy and that may not be the case I mean we don't really know because we don't because it's not a democracy and people don't speak out but there have been rumblings that um, you know high levels within the Communist Party and, and and even generals and so on are not happy with the way things are progressing there so it could be that it's going to change but whatever happens it, the, the Time scale for change is not going to suit Huawei. It's going to it's going to be a problem for Huawei in the phone business, and I would suggest that um, you know there'll be a lot fewer Huawei phones sold outside of China in the, the next year or so. Mm. Yeah, I think that's it's certainly uh, certainly going to be the case. Now on these. Uh geopolitical issues where we're also hearing that you know Trump's going a bit uh, broader in terms of you know we knew that he was uh, targeting uh, TikTok and was threatening to uh, to close it down just in the last uh, couple of weeks now we know of course Microsoft came onto the uh, the scene Bill Gates has since uh, and we were talking you know potentially a, a 50 billion dollar uh, acquisition there Bill Gates has come out and sort of you know poo-pooed it and said TikTok would be a, a poison uh, chalice uh, now uh, Trump is saying that uh, TikTok and WeChat will both be banned in the US in um, the second half of September. So, yeah, in a pretty short space of time if uh, if the situation hasn't changed in terms of uh, acquisitions and so on. So things are really stirring up on on that front. And uh, how are they going to police that? I mean, can will people be able to use a VPN to use those services? Well, I imagine they'll be you know, blocking WeChat and TikTok from app stores, which is, is starting to sound a little bit like what happens in the yeah. in China, right? It does. You don't have all these apps in the in the app store and you have this great firewall of China. So, you know, as Trump's suggesting, there's going to be a, a firewall uh, blocking access to those things. That, 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 seems, uh, that seems unlikely, but so certainly... So go and invest in a VPN. Yeah, yeah. but certainly, well, uh, yeah, in terms of... Will will people install TikTok? You probably. I would think it's reasonably unlikely you would need a VPN um, on an Android device. You can, you know, of course, sideload apps 
yeah, pretty pretty easily. So if those were banned, you can imagine there'll be a lot of people that would sideload them. When you get involved in sideloading apps, your chance of actually getting a dodgy version of of that That's app, it. It, you know, increases uh, dramatically. You get it from the wrong the wrong source, and you know, actually, and you know. People might be worried now around sort of security implications, but uh, doing it that way just uh, you know in- well, increases the risk. And here's it? the other thing: is that we tend to talk to an audience of people who are largely able to deal with those things. The, the truth is, is that ninety percent of people in the world aren't going to be able to safely sideload apps, and you know aren't going to be able to navigate a non-standard app store. So the potential for chaos there is huge, and and it's th- they're the people that are going to be the prob- you know the the problem, not the people listening to us. I wouldn't be surprised if we would see some sort of web, uh, you know, web variant yeah. of of those. Um, well, yeah, we, yeah. But I don't know how simple that would be with uh, with with WeChat, which, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that's um, well, I, it's probably not it's probably not too hard. And, of course, web apps are far more capable today than, you know, than what they used to well, be. Well, I was going to say, the other thing, about, the other thing about banning TikTok is clearly, um, clearly Mr. Trump doesn't expect to win the vote of anyone under the age of 30 then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there was all, already the uh, the big the huge rally that he held, which didn't end up being so huge because yeah. uh, a bunch of people on yes. uh, on TikTok yeah. had all uh, well, s- you know, s- registered I, as though they were going to be there, registered for seats, and of course right. turning now, up. So. You see, in the normal run of things, I would say there's no link between those two things. But you know, this we're talking about a president where there could be a link between those two things. Possibly, possibly, yeah, yeah possibly so. Um, now, on the US front, we've got Intel, the world's biggest chip maker for, you know, forever, sort of, forever, it's, yeah. it's, or it's felt like that anyway. Um, they are now in a position where uh, NVIDIA are you know, poised to actually be a, a more... A more valuable well, player, which is yes. uh, is fascinating. Well, Still, fact, AMD are, are are a long way behind other ones, but uh, Nvidia, in terms of just you know driven by sales of uh, smartphone you know chips, especially. And and we already mentioned the um, the Taiwanese, and I think the Taiwanese are now now manufacture more chips than Intel, but they don't have the intellectual property in the chips. So, I think I think the Taiwanese are now. Bigger, their business is bigger than Intel's, and that's to, a lot. A lot of that's to do with the ARM chips as well, the ARM processors. Well, the thing is, is that Intel basically did what Microsoft didn't, and that is, is that when pretty much, I mean, it, it goes back longer than this, but pretty much when Apple introduced the iPhone, it changed everything about the tech sector, and um, Microsoft, in effect, changed. They pivoted, you know, to use the use the, the current term they pivoted to become a cloud company and really what you see with windows and office and so on is now secondary to the cloud business in, inside into i mean inside microsoft might, that might not be what they say but you know if you look at the numbers that's what's going on intel didn't have an option to become a cloud business in the same way they did in the sense that they built chips to power cloud um, servers, sure, the Xeon chips and so on, yeah. which which use that. But of course, cloud, the big cloud serve, uh, server farms are actually making their own chips because it's it's easier for a, you know the likes of Amazon to go out and 
build their own chip foundries for, the, for their purposes. So Intel's just missed out on the the changeover, and Intel really lost the game with smartphones. They, they really didn't make it into that game at all, and that's really where they lost the plot because phones. They I think they outsell. Um, the likes of PCs and tablets by something like five to one, I think it is. Uh, you know, that whatever it is, the numbers are, are massively more. And and so what that means is the people that are making the chips for those things are getting the economies of scale and everything, which was historically Intel's big thing is they had the economy of scale. They no That's longer right. have that. So well, they also lost their way on the innovation front. Yes, and they so they've you know they've they've ended up sort of. You know, a reasonable way back from their competitors, their well, you know the, their shrinking of chips, which they well, used they to do they, on, they a, on, ha- they on still a regular basis. Seven nanometers working. They've, you know, they're, yeah. they're way behind. We're seeing other chip makers sort of you know going to I think um, yeah. I mean, certainly there's a lot of seven nanometer stuff in production. Intel's are, are mostly still think, on fourteen nanometer. I think Intel's some, a year some, away some, from seven. Some ten, and they've just you know they've just announced yeah. that they may actually start out. Sourcing yes, the manufacturing to the, to the Taiwanese of, of, of their chips, yeah. and I mean Intel was always they were the leader yeah. at you know designing the chips and manufacturing the chips every step of the way. Intel was the leader, yeah. uh, and even um, AMD, who make you know the competing uh, processors for PCs and laptops, are now in a very very strong position with very you know competitive uh, processors, and we've seen. Really, it's just been the last couple of years, but we've seen AMD start coming back. You know, Microsoft yeah. are making surfaces uh, with an AMD chip, HP, Lenovo, etc. Uh, everybody is in, is incorporating those options now. The price differences, you know, maybe aren't enough, and it's you know, there's there's and the AMD I guess some a lot mo- than momentum to sort of yeah. build up. Yeah. Uh, but I can I can imagine you know we could be in a position in, in five years or ten years where an Intel PC um, you know is is something of a novelty because it's it's well, it's not the norm I mean that that may well not be the case because it, I mean they are such a large and a and a trusted brand but look if if AMD manages to get a few further steps uh, forward yeah. and Intel. You know, get stuck where they where they are now. Then the, you know, it could be a, a huge change. I think that's right. I think what happens is that with these with these large, seemingly invulnerable tech companies, um, there's there's quite often a tipping point, and that just happens. That just that passes, and at the time, doesn't really register that it was a tipping point, but it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that happened with Intel. I was I was thinking though when you were speaking that um, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but the Andy Grove's book was was it about paranoia? Was it survival of the paranoia? Was paranoia? I can't remember the time. It was something about you have to be paranoid. Only the paranoid survives. What's yeah, that yeah, effect? Yeah, something like that. Something yeah, like yeah. that. And I was thinking, you know, perhaps Intel just stopped being paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they were too paranoid. They were looking at everyone else well, rather yeah, than getting yeah. on and getting the job done. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah, they've made so many announcements they failed to, to deliver on, or it certainly feels like it. But it, it, there was definitely a moment about probably about 12 years ago now when the iPhone came along and I know that Intel doubled down on the PC at that point mm-hmm. and that looks to be such a smart move at the time and it wasn't you know mm-hmm. so 
Yeah. Now, um, looking a little bit closer to home at New Zealand, there was the uh, report came out last week from the Telecommunications Forum or uh, the TCF, and they they how often do they put the they put out their big report something like every three years, yeah, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Um, and it was a gathering of the clans. I mean, there was a there was a Zoom broadcast with all the CEOs of the big the big um, telcos. Yeah, one or two who were who were busy and weren't able to attend, but they were all represented by yeah, yeah. you know somebody else if they weren't able to be there. So yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it, it was great. Uh, Jolie Hodson from Spark, Jason Paris from Vodafone, um, JB from Chorus, uh, Mark Callender from Vocus. Steve Fuller from Enable, um, Matt Bolland representing Two Degrees, and um, Peter Calderwood for uh, for Trust Power. Yeah. I remember dealing with it Trust Power uh, when I was doing doing uh, work setting up their first uh, PC Windows network. Uh, probably uh, well over twenty five uh, over twenty five years ago God. now. He's so Peter Calderwood's been around for a long time there. But uh, um, yeah, I mean it was fascinating actually just to hear. These different voices and their and their different perspectives, uh, and to, you know they're they're all certainly uh, you, know, um, you know fiercely competitive with each other. But uh, the telecommunications forums you know brings all those players together. Yeah, and they've got things in common, the common issues. What I, I thought watching it, there were three themes that shone through from that from that um, hour long. Was it a presentation? What would you call it? Whatever it was, the broadcast. Well, yeah, I mean, it was led by um, Jeff Thorne, who's, yeah. who's been on the podcast, uh, I think it was yeah, earlier on the, this year. And, you know, of course, he's he's speaking on behalf yes. of the telecommunications forum. So he's the view he's presenting is one that is, is very much from, well, um, you know, from the telecommunications industry perspective, shall we say. Yeah, there were three themes that came through, right? The first was, and I think this is fair enough, was a bit of a slap on the back for how well the companies coped with the pandemic and how everything was in place Everything worked. There was cooperation where there needed to be cooperation and competition where there needed to be competition. Uh, yada yada. We, and we've talked about that before on the the podcast. And I think that was just brilliant. That was just, that was just great. That was the first theme. The second theme was, and I'm going to put it in my words, not their words, is that we're not paying enough for telecommunications. And that's again, that's fair enough because. Um, the return you get on investing in a telecommunications carrier in New Zealand is not high. Um, it's in the low single digits, and um, and partly because that's partly be- that's partly because of a good thing. And the good thing is, is the way the industry was set up with the separate levels, um, you know, the separate layer for the fibre network. And retailers sit on top of that, and the wholesalers can't sell to end users, and so on. And the problem is, is that that well, the problem that that created is that it's very low interest, very low barrier to entry, rather, in the market, and small, relatively small um, telcos can set up a full suite of services, pretty much. And it doesn't cost them a huge amount. But they might se- not make much, though. No, they don't necessarily make much, <laughs> but they don't need to because if you're if you're a you know if you're say a dozen people, and you're servicing 
so many thousand, you know, a few thousand customers. That's quite a bit, but you don't have, you know, the big building in Victoria Street, which Spark has to pay for, and the TV campaigns, and the, you know, the big infrastructure, and and that which was which was. It's not my. It's not my third point. It's the second part of the second point, is that um, telecommunications doesn't actually scale that well. So, the bigger companies don't necessarily. You know, I mean, they they don't make better margins, shall we say, than the smaller ones necessarily. They, it just doesn't scale well. So you add twenty percent more customers and you get 20% more revenue but you know you don't necessarily get a much higher profit from you have to have more people in your call center and yeah, all all exactly. those all those so, other things yeah. so it doesn't necessarily scale very well and um, and those are issues and the other thing is is that it's probably the only service that we've known about in our lifetimes where you get more and more and more, but it gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper while it's happening. Now that kind of did happen with Moore's Law and the and processor power. Yeah, we have an expectation, I think, of that yeah. around you know, technology. We get you know more for a, a smaller spend, although that that's been you know quite variable over, over the years. But if you take inflation into into view anyway, uh, you know we've done pretty well on the on the general technology front. Yeah, well, well, Jason Paris is something interesting in that presentation, which you know has been quoted a lot in the media, which is basically people go into a Vodafone store, they buy a two thousand dollar iPhone and they complain about twenty dollars to connect to the network which is fair enough but the th- but the th- uh, and it's a very good point because people don't value the connections but I was I when I was thinking about this I was at, I actually um, I like to chew big things like this over before I commit to print and one of the things that occurred to me was it's not at the $20 end you know because you can get a $16 account with skinny or two degree you know you can get those low end prices that's not where the real changes happen what's really happened is is that if I think back say 10 years if you wanted an all bells and whistles mobile account with the maximum amount of data and yada 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 it's going to cost you 120 a month, that kind of, you know, 120, 150 a month. Nowadays, you can get all-you-can-eat mobile plans for, what, $60, $70 a month, which is a lot less, but a, but a lot less in price, but a lot more, um, you get a lot more phone, you get a lot more service for that. So that's where, that's where I think the real price problem has happened, is at the high end. And something that Jason said to me a couple of years ago when I was interviewing for a different story, he, he said the problem with telecommunications in New Zealand is all the profit is competed away. And that's absolutely true because the the structure of our market means that there are when when the structure when the market was restructured about probably about twelve years ago now, um, the idea was was that carriers would be able to compete on levels of service, on quality of service, you know, there might be a business class service for a certain sector of the market, whatever. But what they ended up all doing is they just competed on price. And so the price quickly descended to the lowest common denominator. And I was talking with uh, some execs from another carrier just recently, and they were saying that, 
you know, really your month, you and I might be paying um, your service provider 80 to to $100 a month for a you know, gigabit line or whatever. Um, they probably make in the region of six, seven, eight dollars on that at the you know when it's all washed up, which isn't too bad. When but when I say make six, seven, eight dollars, I don't mean that's their profit. I mean that's what they have to pay their wages and their rent and everything out of. So the actual um, you know the actual margins they're making are in the low single digits, and. The, the the fear the the threat is is that you know the the investors may not be happy pouring money into building next generation mobile networks if they're going to make low single digit margins. Well, I'll play the devil's advocate a little bit here, but I'm not. I, but I, this is this is I'm, it's not my argument. Yeah, this yeah, is their no, argument. No, yeah. so, but just so we do you know we do have that good competition and one of the things that they called out is that um, New Zealand has the fourth highest level of telecom investment in the OECD yeah. on a sort of you know per capita so right now certainly the investments going in and yes some of that has been driven you know from the government level yeah. in terms of you know the government's obviously you know supporting getting uh, fiber and ultra fast broadband out there there's the um, um, the the rural um, broadband initiative as well so yeah there's that side going on but I mean I haven't seen the signs that say that any of the any of our telcos are really sort of stepping back they all seem to be you know, push, pushing forward. Yeah. I mean, uh, with COVID, yes, I think that, we, you know, we've certainly seen some signs of, of, of caution there around probably the pace of, of 5G yeah. and so on. It, it's probably not going to move at, at quite the same level as it, as it could have done. And there's a fair bit of unknown, and it was highlighted on that uh, call, that they have this sort of coming challenge as the economy... Um, potentially breaks down a little bit more as yeah. ways subsidies and so on disappear. They're trying to get their head around how you know what yeah. what do they do? Do they well, di- you know do they disconnect families? Well, we'll come, we come to that one in a moment and so on. We'll come to that one in a moment because the thing is is you're right, okay. But the thing the thing that we're not seeing in this debate is right is that at a time. When I think the um, the bank rate in New Zealand, the official bank rate is 0.25%, getting a three or four percent margin return on your um, investment is actually not that bad, right? <laughs> it's just it's just it's bad by historic standards, yeah. and it's bad by what we've yeah. come to expect from from the tech world. So they're quite right, but part part of their problem, I think, is, and I. I it could have been Jason who said this, but one of the people said that there's an expectation in the market about pricing and quality of service and so on, and that you know people are basically expecting a bit too much in um, and not expecting to pay for it. Well, it's not just the consumers that are expecting a bit much. You know, this is a world where you know we're we're living in times where there's not much growth going on anyway, and so on. And really, I I think you know that the, the the telco sector has probably got to that point a little bit earlier than the rest of the economy, 
that we're, which is where we're going to, which is we're not going to see the same levels of growth that we've seen in the past anyway. So I think there's... An, there's well, we went from you know, nobody having mobiles into New Zealand where yeah. it's, you know, how many, what the number of average, you know, SIM cards per, per well, uh, you know, per capita is... So know, there's something a, like 1.4 or something. It's per, well above one, yeah. isn't it? And so, yeah, but you can't expect those numbers on on traditional types of connections yes when we when we look at yeah. internet of things and so on yeah there, there are going to be more connections but yeah. you know much lower much you know lower cost connections and so on so but that's, you know, that's, that's the supermarket model up. you know like yeah. if you go into a, if you go into a flash boutique with a designer's name on the on the door mm. right the margins on things in that boutique are like 60 70 percent mm-hmm. you go into Pack and save, and the margins on things are two percent, two or three percent. So it's that they're they're in the supermarket game. They're not in the, you know, the high end fashion part of the market. But there's um, there's uh, an, another part to that, which is where I think you were going, which is the third theme that came out of that um, um, report was the. Um, the digital divide and people that are on side of the digital divide at the moment and. By extension, that people who may become on the wrong side of that digital divide yeah. once they lost their jobs or uh, and, and so on, and they've got less money, and there is this tsunami of debt that's going to arrive at the telcos when people stop paying. Well, should they cut people off? That's got to be a commercial decision. But I thought that I thought that, and again, it was Jason who said this right at the end of the um, the, the the session, the online session was that if people can't afford because there's there's a lot of talk about you know that there should people that having internet access should be a right and it should be free it should be a human right yeah, it should be a human right yeah. okay and i i'm not going to debate that one way or another because i think that's a political debate that's not a ten- technology debate that's something that for us for our voters decide as a society if we want to go down that route yeah it's an interesting discussion yeah. to have but we certainly haven't, haven't got time for it uh yeah. today because we've got a few other things to, to delve into and, and those sort of discussions are i think it you know it's it, it is important that that we do look at it and you know what what sort of challenges does it does it create if we've got a you know a segment of the population that yeah. that don't have access to the internet and information um, so yeah definitely that uh, yeah it's not it's certainly not a, 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 a directly a technology decision but I think uh, it is an aspect that we will need to delve into it at, at, at some stage yeah but it's 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 a, it's a much broader thing than you know, technology companies making money or whatever. It's it's how we want to run our society. That's it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, yeah. The the other point that um, that stood stood out was just how world class our our internet connectivity is. Yeah. And I think they said we're ranked number three in terms of mobile connectivity in New Zealand. Uh, we heard that figure around uh, fourth in terms of investment in telecommunications, and we rank very highly on our, our fixed access because of uh, fibre, yeah. which the uptake has has well, just you know grown and grown. Which oh, is, is uh, yeah, awesome. which actually reminds me. You actually just reminded me of the other point I wanted to make in all of that, and that is is that we're still. Even though the the, UF, the the main part of the first phase of UFB has been finished, we're still in a build-out stage. That's right. The rural connectivity group is still building rural towers. Um, there's still, 
you know, rural stuff to go in in terms of fibre and so on. And so we're, we're so we're at a point of almost peak industry investment, or we actually probably passed the peak, but we're still at a point where there's a lot of investment going. But once that fibre network is finished, and once that RCG network is finished, the capital expenditure should drop. I mean, there's, there's still the whole thing about building the 5G network, and you know, you can end up building a tower in every corner because it's you know, high, uh, high volumes and so on. There's still that, but that's a strictly commercial decision for the mobile carriers. Um, but as an industry in general, we're still in the build-out phase. And it's true, right, that the mobile carriers are never not in a build-out phase, really. I mean, they just it just sort of cycles through like a... And even our, you know, our fixed internet usage, you know, Keeps going up yeah. at, a, at a you know at a pretty strong clip you know yeah, forty to fifty percent you know usage growth uh, yeah but it uh, tends to be uh, an incremental investment on there because basically it's just about putting better responders each end of the bit of fibre than before so but it, it doesn't mean that there, we w- there won't be any investment so no there but will the, still be some but the thing that we off- the thing that's often lost right is that the civil engineering part of the job is the expensive part and the civil engineering part of the job apart from building more 5G towers, the civil engineering part of the job is largely done. And that's the beauty of having put fibre in the ground yeah. rather than, you know, fresh copper and yeah. uh, other other things that other uh, other regions might have done. All right, well, let, we've got to move along because we wanted to... Just a quick mention um, in terms of local news was Network for, uh, for Learning, which is a government entity, uh, are offering schools free health checks uh, as we start heading into exam season which I thought was you know, good to see them looking for how they can uh, how they can help schools now I don't know all of the ins and outs of of how they do that and I hope that the schools don't get uh, necessarily get uh, over overconfident but it was you know it was interesting reading those things because you know just because you've had a had a health check or you know some education well, doesn't doesn't mean uh, that you're going to be completely safe and secure and we heard uh, I think it was you know last year Around uh, you know one of the schools that got hit with a cyber security incident, so you know no one's immune. But if there's something here that they're making available uh, to schools, then you know I hope there'll be a good uh, good uptake well, and, and schools take advantage. Well, the thing about network for learning, right, is that if you think of the telecommunications network, which we just talked about, as being the hardware. Things like network for learning are the apps sitting on that hardware, and, and it, they, it's it's in effect an application of the fiber network which has been built. And what's network for learning has been doing, and it's 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 done a fabulously good job um, of making sure that schools you know get a certain level of technology. And they and in the last year or so, they started a project to make to, they're upgrading all the school Wi-Fi um, incrementally around the country. I think it's a four-year project, but um, we're going to have the first schools in the world to have Wi-Fi six, for example, in every classroom. Um, and, this, and the network for learning's remit used to stop at the point where fibre entered the building, but now they're moving into you know, networking the school, and they're and they're starting to provide services like monitoring for security and so on. And there's there's a couple of other projects that's going on. And what you're seeing really is that sort of service application layer of our telecommunications network and network for learning is you know is is a very active part of that yeah and there's there's a, i think there's 
there's a good benefit of that approach because there's a level of efficiency that they can, they can bring by looking across all of the schools yeah. in the nation. And as long as they stay you know reasonably fast and agile, that's going to suit the large majority of schools. Now there'll be other you know edge cases where schools don't you know don't necessarily you know want to use everything that yeah. they've got on offer. Um, but the more the more they do that, the more efficient that's going. Well, to yeah, be. It, it, yeah, it's basically like a, um, you know schools computer networking as a service thing. And there's there's actually a control room. Um, in the network for learning offices where they can see the status of, you know, they, they can check, there's a list of all the schools around the country and this, con- this school is currently offline and yada, yada, yada. It's like a checking thing. It's really quite impressive. Um, and part of, the, part, part of how I see their role at Network for Learning is that um, teachers are not technologists. And so they, you know, just as, you know, just as a company these days wants to outsource its responsibility for its technology to, you know, technology providers and resellers and partners and so on. Um, you know, schools, a, a teacher really wants to be teaching. They don't really want to be, you know, stuffing around trying to get a modem to work or or um, fixing the Wi-Fi or whatever. So, they so you know, they professionalised it and outsourced it and it's, it's like, in effect, a service. Mm. Oh, it's, it's great. Now, on to, we promised for this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the latest and greatest new uh, technologies coming through. Um, the Samsung Galaxy Note 20 and the Note 20 Ultra are the, the new kids on the block, shall we say. They're not yeah. quite available for public. They're available for pre-order uh, online. I had a look last week ahead of their uh, their public announcement and a little bit of time, and we've got the uh, Samsung Galaxy Note 20 Ultra here now there's a degree Bill to which with these new releases that you know, seem to come around so fast yeah. um, that there's a bit of fatigue because it's been going on now yeah. for you know for so many years um, but also I don't think that the 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 interest in new technology is is disappearing at all. There are, I mean, there is is probably um, a longer period that people are tending to keep their, uh, oh, you know, keep their yeah. devices, yeah. and. Part, you know, part of that I think is probably driven by the higher price points now for the top, you know, the top end devices. Uh, looking at the uh, Galaxy Note 20 Ultra, if you get that, the 4G variant is 2100, 2300 for the 5G variant. So, you know, they they actually, you know, giving you a couple of options there. Uh, the the base Note 20 now, you know, 1700 or 1699. So these aren't low. Co- low-cost devices so I can understand right. why you know f- people will want to get a reasonable sort of lifespan uh, out of this equipment and you know we look at businesses today who uh, you know in, in, a, in a lot of cases will be rolling over their, their, their main technology um, laptops and, and PCs about every three years there was a time there where a lot of people were replacing their smartphone every year. I think that that's dropped off a bit with these higher, yeah. um, higher price points. Um, but I think you know each time we're seeing nice, uh, you know, nice improvements that are brought to the table. Um, they are nice, but there's not been anything sort of wow factory lately, has there? I mean, <laughs> the, the last thing I thought was really wow was the 
foldables. Mm, mm. Um, and that's kind of wow, but it's also kind of, is it going to last? <laughs> yeah, well, and something that I, that I saw a bit of news about over, over the last couple of days was was um, an e-ink sort of, you know, yeah. fold, you know foldable yeah. uh, you know, e-ink type, um, you know, booklet, as yeah. it were, that it, you know, folds up like a like a little book. The screen's protected because it, it's it's closed. Uh, it's it's not as uh, fragile as a as a smartphone uh, screen anyway. Little stylus and so on. Um, yeah, that was very much a sort of a tech demo rather rather than a product. Um, but there are still, you know, comp- Completely or, or mostly new, you know, gadgets and things coming through. Um, but it tends to be if a, if a new product if hits at the time where you're ready to replace it, or some yeah. of its features sort of fall in that, you know, in that in that sweet spot. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I look at the um, this, you know, the Samsung releases when they uh, when they come out, they've interestingly um, you know done very well with their cameras over the last few years and I think that's probably one of the standout things with their with their uh, note is that it's it's right up there on the camera front as is the you know the the uh, the s20 and um, but the you know the big unique thing about the the note has always been uh, the stylus yeah, stylus yeah. but they seem to be taking this approach uh, this year that the note, is a device for sort of two audiences. One for those, uh, you know, wanting a, a business, a productivity device, and then they've got this sort of other aspect, which is gaming. So yeah. um, I find that sort of fas- I, fascinating. I, I find it fascinating. I also think, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to stick my neck out here and say it's wrong, right? You can't have a device which is a business device and a gaming device, right? I mean, you can have. I a, think I think you can because these well, days there's so much crossover, right? I mean, especially something that sits in your pocket, you're going to use it, you know, during the day mm. to to do your work on. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and if you're a gamer, then you might use it at night. Now I don't know how big that particular audience is. Yeah. But you know, from a device manufacturer perspective, I, they they want to you know I, win, win as many customers. I as agree. They can. I, I mean, I don't actually know. I could I could yeah. be completely wrong, but my gut feeling is is that. When it comes to phones, the gaming, the, there's there's a lot of people that, sp- that will spend two grand on a business phone to mm. do work and be productive with. I don't think there's so many people that are going to spend two grand on a gaming phone. I think if you're going to spend some money on gaming device, you, you'll go and spend it on something like a, you know, an Xbox or a PlayStation or, or whatever. Well, they're, they're gearing up with this to be able to do the um, the game streaming from Microsoft, which, of yeah, course, we just heard I in the last few days. Are, I think there are better devices to gaming devices for handheld gaming than this. I just don't... Yeah, I guess. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. certainly see how that pans out. But we've just heard how um, Apple have basically closed the door uh, to cloud-based game streaming yeah. on uh, on iOS, and you know, unless it's something that they provide through their game store, which is very interesting. And they're basically saying it's because, look, you know, we've got our app store. That's where all the apps come through. If you provide a streaming uh, platform. Then we don't get to check all of all of the games, and we're starting to see, you know, a, 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 a rift opening up there between uh, Apple and Microsoft yeah. and and others who are, uh, you know, I mean, not 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 so pleased with Apple's approach. 
about 18 months ago, I was at um, Mobile World Congress, and one of the key applications being touted 5G mobile was gaming, right? And I could be wrong here, but I don't think in the last 18 months, 5G mobile gaming has set the world alight. Um, and was it that they were too early? I don't think so. I think what I think sometimes, sometimes because you can do something with technology doesn't mean you should. Doesn't mean it's necessarily the best approach. It's true. It's true. And um, I think if you want to hit the gaming market, this is purely my opinion, and I. I'm not in the phone business. I don't sell phones. I think you want a $600 device or a $500 device. You don't want a two grand device because you don't want to be sitting on the bus with this thing, you know, doing all that sort of wacky gaming stuff and you drop two grand's worth of kit and, you know, you don't eat again for another year or whatever. You, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> well, it's, it, I mean, it's pretty interesting what, what I see in terms of the devices that, that people yeah. use. I mean, these top-end devices aren't, you know, they're not just for, you know, chief executives and so on, right? No, I mean, no. they're, they're very broadly... Oh, no, um, I used, I used you know, top-end phones a, a, adopted, I worked with right? them. So, yeah. uh, so, you know, the, the, well, well, we'll see how it plays out. It is interesting to, uh, you know, to see but Samsung is certainly you know keeping going on this sort of you know two uh, you know two product announcements you know big product announcements well, on phones each year which well they did they did five announcements at once the other day with, with that um, yep so they were showing off the the uh, Note twenty their new uh, Galaxy Buds Live the beans as they look like yeah. and and get referred to which which yeah. They look pretty cool. Um, but easier to swallow than AirPods. <laughs> well, <laughs> I haven't, haven't tried that, Bill, but that, no. that'd be interesting if you wanted to hear a bit of uh, extra sound coming from your uh, your insides. Yeah, but, I, uh, bet, I bet you someone will. <laughs> <laughs> um, they had their new uh, Watch 3, which I see they're sort of they're moving in, and I don't know whether this is the case in New Zealand, but certainly uh, some markets they've got the ECG, uh, you know, yeah. electric cardiogram uh, capability that um, um, you know we've seen from from other vendors withings which I'm wearing uh, today have got that and and Apple of course so um, yeah things are getting competitive and um, they showed off new uh, new tablet as well so they're, they're certainly not not sitting not no. sitting still no uh, and, and here's the thing about Samsung right Samsung need to keep a steady flow of new products you know a busy pipeline of products coming in a way that Apple doesn't necessarily need so be, to because Apple makes money from selling the hardware but it also makes you know once you once you're into the Apple ecosystem you're into iCloud you're into gaming store you're into you know the app store and so once Apple's got your two grand for your initial phone, they're going to collect another X dollars a month from you for other things. Samsung haven't been able to do that in any in any meaningful way yet. So so Samsung needs to keep the you know the pipeline full of exciting new things coming. And and all credit to them, they do a great job. And it's and you know I completely understand why this would be you know this. It's the top brand in New Zealand when it comes to phones. Uh, Jewel Sim, I believe, locally. I haven't actually um, uh, double checked how exactly how that works because we're obviously starting starting to see you know it, it often be an e sim rather than be physical. For yeah, the, for yeah. The, for the second um, sim, so I, I'm not. I can't recall what the situation is on uh, on that front. Um, 
yeah, so that's that's the latest from uh, from Samsung. Yeah, they've got their you know higher refresh rate for gaming and you know all the other bits and pieces in terms of you know big battery and whatnot. They seem to be um, cozying up to Microsoft a little bit more. So, so there's a, well, a, that's a bunch of announcements there on you know, their software, yeah. their integration uh, with Windows, um, being able to uh, you know take your phone and and you know. We we've had this capability where you could you know, basically mirror your screen, you know, and into your window screen as well as oh, like um, turn uh, turn your whole uh, monitor into a into a desktop. Yeah, extended the off the smartphone with decks. Yeah. Um, but now, and I haven't tried this yet, but I was reading uh, how you'll basically be able to take any of the apps that are um, you know running on the the Note Twenty. And basically put them on your screen yeah. and yeah. In, you know in their own windows yeah. and so on as as their Android apps are effectively running on your smartphone but uh, displaying on your screen. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, I was going to say that the other, the other thing there's an interesting dynamic in the market because we all, we've already talked a bit about Huawei running into all kinds of problems, but with Huawei out the picture, Samsung in New Zealand I mean, it's it's basically Samsung and Apple. It's been Samsung and Apple really with Huawei coming up for for years now. But now with Huawei out of the picture, um, yeah, it's Samsung, Apple and the also rans. Yeah, I mean Oppo seem to be growing their uh, their their market share. I mean, certainly the market shares of the other you wait the other people players wake up and realise that that's another Chinese are, uh, <laughs> are smaller. Yeah. And the Nokia the Nokia product, yeah. uh, I think, is has actually. You know, improved. You know, they were sort of a, oh. a, 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 you call them a new brand. I mean, they're an old brand, yeah. sort of refreshed, but they came in. Their first phones, over time, we found they weren't necessarily as well built as you might expect yeah. from Nokia. Um, they seem to be getting better. There's certainly a premium you pay for their devices, but they're getting the software updates. I like certainly in a commercial sense. I was going to say that I like good. I like the Nokia software a lot. Mm. So um, I feel it's. I feel Nokia. I mean, there's, Samsung has its has its charms, mm. and the, mm. one of the charms is the fact that you can, you know, in effect, you can use this thing as a PC. Um, but one of the things I like about Nokia is is that it actually feels like Android ought to be. I don't know. If that, well, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a very clean Android, isn't yeah. it? There's virtu- virtually no, um, you know, mod- modification to it, and that's that's got a little a little bit easier over the you know over the years, and um, you know the um, extra sort of software layers have, have become less yeah. obtrusive. I guess it's 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 fair to say. Um, now we a couple of other things that we wanted to quickly touch on. Microsoft Surface Go Two. You and I both sort of spent a little bit of uh, time looking at it. One of the things, I mean, this is just just a, an oddity, and maybe um, yeah, Microsoft were, were trying to prove a prove a point, but uh, it seemed like both you and I got the um, the one with what's called the Pentium Gold processor, yeah. which is uh, effectively the you know, Intel Atom uh, processor, which is a is a pretty slow um, a pretty slow chip. They also do an Intel i3, which is the you know the the, the lowest end uh, of the chips that we see in in laptops. And, and PCs today, and a and a, and a reasonably low end mobile uh, variant of it. But um, you know what they sent out for review wasn't even 
the i3. I I don't know any other vendors that do that that wouldn't wouldn't give you the well, sort of the fastest variant. But there's of course a price difference between the well there is the, the two. What was your your experience? Because I I think probably the the sort of level of power that I yeah. uh, I you know tend to draw on. I'll take as as much as I can yeah well uh, I, I can get. But you're often sort of doing you know word processing yeah. and you know you're you're, stuff, you're, yeah. you're writing i am yeah i mean i pretty much wrote the same thing but from the opposite perspective so i wrote that you know it's a great machine if you're if you've got minimal needs if you just yeah. need if you need a a laptop and you know it technically it's a tablet mm. but really mm-hmm. no one buys a surface without buying the keyboard so it's a laptop y- yeah yeah um, and if you and if and it's you know it's, it's quite expensive for a laptop of that um, class in terms of its power but it's a beautiful little product for if you just need a you know a, a decent quality laptop to type and do things on the go and, mm-hmm. um, and I always think with these things that the real test is the tray table test you know, if you can um, if you're flying to Dunedin and you've got to write a story can you do it on a on a tray table, well, you can't with a. I mean, the laptop you've got in front of you there is it, mm. too big for that. But the the yeah. um, the go is ideal for that. So for the sort of work that I do, it's brilliant. But I, I mentioned in my review that you know if you want power, don't buy this. Um, but if you're if you want if you're a writer or whatever, mm. I mean, I, I don't know I don't know what point it's not powerful enough. But I would imagine if you're like manipulating a big spreadsheet with say you know 3000 cells or something it would start to top out at about that point. Well, I think it's that often it's sort of the multitasking, flicking from one thing yeah. to another. Um, you know, there, there are times when you, you know, you soon run your head into, uh, yeah, a limitation or, a, yeah, for me, I mean, there's just a whole variety of things, whether it's a, you know, a Photoshop, you know, audio yeah. editing, video editing and, uh, you know, oh, you graphics programs, right? You know, those things can all run on it. Yeah. But, you know, you're going to be sitting there, yeah. uh, you know, get, get, getting a little, a little bit, uh, a little bit bored. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is very much for the more basic tasks. But I do like that. Yeah, these things all now have a USB-C port. So yeah. You can actually dock them to a nice, you know, huge docking monitor. I've got the you know HP's forty, what is it, forty three and a half, um, you know, inch uh, ultra wide screen, and I was able to tap into that. It, it charged the Surface Go uh, to, You know, it all all worked oh. very nicely in in those regards. Um, the camera stood out. Um, yeah. Their 1080p camera. That yes. was probably one of the Brilliant. one of the highlights for me. For Zoom, is <laughs> yeah. yeah, with all the video yeah. calling, conferencing, and and different yeah. things, a lot of laptops have still been on these you know lower oh. quality cameras. Oh, gotcha. 7, 720p. If um, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, having 1080p both front and front and rear, I thought was uh, you know was was really good. So and it's, it's, in the it's right not place it's too. certainly not a rubbishy piece of hardware no. by any stretch of the imagination, you know, specs-wise, yes, this is a smaller device. There's not as much power uh, as the higher-end surfaces, but you've got a – this is, you know, about 500 grams yeah. and 10.5-inch uh, display. Almost it's, put it in uh, a pocket. It's a, it's a very, very nice piece of well, uh, kit, but you just – you know, don't want to 
you know, have um, you know too high expectations of it because no. its overall performance is going to be you know, probably less than half of of a typical laptop that yeah. you'd be buying today. Well, I was going to say that it's an ideal device if it's not your only device. If you've got a if you've got a desktop at home or a desktop in the office and you just need something for occasional work. Yeah, or take to meetings and yeah, this is yeah. the one where you scribble your notes yeah. on, you want to use a stylus, then yeah, that's great. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, good good to see that uh, here in the market. It took a little while for me to get a get get it have a look and and uh, and try it out. Um, the other things I've been looking at, there's a new uh, laptop from Huawei, which they are allowed to still make Intel processor Windows, the MateBook 13. I've only just started looking at that, but it, it feels really um, really robust for a small 13 inch yep. laptop. It 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 certainly looks and feels quite MacBook. Uh, like, except a Windows device, touchscreen, uh, a fingerprint reader that, that looks different to the Apple, but you know, effectively, you've got a fingerprint reader for authentication. Um, it's got uh, the the model that they sent across: sixteen gigs of RAM, five twelve SSD. Um, I'm not sure on the exact uh, pricing in the New Zealand market. I haven't uh, seen those details con- confirmed yet, but it looks. In terms of you know just the the initial hands-on with it, uh, like for for its sort of size and profile, quite a powerful machine. Now uh-huh. I'm not sure who the target will be for that in New Zealand because corporates are generally looking for machines with a three-year on-site warranty and uh-huh. you know professional um, you know aspects to them that. Um, you know, that limits them to a small number of, of brands that provide that. Although, you know, corporates go and buy Apple gear and you can't get on-site warranties for, for Apple in New Zealand. So I'm sure there will be you know, a place for it, but there's a, certainly a bit of unknown around, uh, you know, will Huawei be able to keep making well, these things for an extended period of time or will they get um, hit there as well? Well, we, I mean, we, we, we could talk a bit more about the device itself and, it's, and it is it is a nice device. I've got one at home too at the moment to look at and um, like you, I've only just I've only just opened the box really. I haven't really got it going. But um, I think what you have to what we have to think when we're talking about a product from Huawei like this is it's as much about making a statement about where Huawei wants to be and its positioning and so on as it is about the product. And um, some five years ago now, I was talking to a senior exec from Huawei um, at one of those big, big telecommunications events overseas. And he was saying, we want to be Apple. We want to be Apple. We want to have laptops. We want to have desktops. We want to have tablets. We want to have phones. We want to be in that space. Yeah. And it's and other consumer electronics as well. That yeah, sort of fall outside. He said we want to be a Chinese Apple. Mm. And I mean, that's you know, never mind the fact that all their big money comes from uh, telecommunications network hardware. I think what they were doing is they were parlaying that business into being an Asian. Chinese Apple version of Apple, and I think that's really what it is. It's a statement of intent as as much a product in the market. And yeah, you might you might have hit something there, Bill, because one thing I noticed, even visiting the um, you know Huawei campus, was that, and even visiting Huawei, you know, New Zealand. I haven't seen that all their staff are using Huawei oh, devices. 
No, well, that's, so it's not their it's, culture it's to always, make them. Though. Always cause you know cause yeah. me to scratch my head. If your you know company makes these devices, why isn't everybody using them? But people using HP and you know and and basically you know what you know whatever well, brand I guess it's maybe. a cultural thing though because I mean I can remember not so many years ago when you'd go for a meeting with Huawei people and they weren't even using Huawei phones. Right, it was, and it's it's just not in the nature of Huawei culture to impose that on people. Right, um, and I don't think people felt that. It, you know, maybe the company culture is changing now. Maybe it now it is expected, but it would be you know you'd be hard pressed. I mean, you, can you imagine turning up at the Apple campus with an HP laptop? <laughs> right, you know, it just wouldn't. Ha- it's it's not that it's it's not that there's a rule that it can't happen. It just wouldn't happen. Um, and it would be like that for most Western country companies, but I don't think Huawei was in that place. Maybe they will be, but but really, I think it's far more about positioning. And um, I I'm reminded of it wasn't so many years ago when Samsung used to make laptops. You don't see them anymore, right? Well, but, I thought they were coming back with laptops. Oh, they, I, they, I saw something on the laptop. Paul, front, Paul or am I what? thinking? Or Samsung am I thinking? Have, or am I thinking a tablet with a no, with a keyboard a, a on tablet? It. But yeah. Samsung have been in and out of that for ages. I think I, I don't think Samsung have ever stopped selling PCs in Korea. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think they've been in and out of Western markets. You know, probably two or three times now. Yeah. But the point is, is, is that. It's not so much. I mean, they they, they they're not. They, I mean, they're not. They, they'll sell you one, and they mm-hmm. want to make money from these things. Mm-hmm. But it's really about saying, look, we're we're this company, and we can do all these things. And when you buy in one of our phones or one of our network switches or whatever, yeah. you're buying into this whole world of wonderful technology that we can produce. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a and it's a positioning thing. Yeah. All right, uh, and then the the other uh, products that I've been having a look at are Jabra, and so I've been testing out one of their Bluetooth headsets, and this one is interesting. It's the Evolve 265, and Jabra are very much targeting the corporate. So this one, Bill, you might see there's a little button on the side there. It's got yep. the Microsoft Teams logo on it. So uh-huh. you can get a Teams variant now of just about every um, you know, every audio conferencing, video conferencing type um, you know, speaker, microphone type kit. So they've got their portable speakers and they've got these headsets. And if you've got their software installed, you can actually tap that button and it'll take you in uh, to, you know, if you've got a meeting, that'll just take you into your uh, into your current uh, current meeting. It's got another feature which I hadn't realised, and you know, I'm I'm told that this is actually a reasonably common feature, um, is the microphone that sort of you know arm that fold that comes yeah. down. Uh, if you slide that up, that mutes the mic, and you slide it down, that turns the mic on. Now, again, it's not a new feature, but I didn't even know that existed. But I was I was jostling with it. And the uh, Evolve 265 has a lot of voice prompts, so it'll yeah. tell you what the battery yeah. level is at, it'll tell you that you're connected, um, and it alerted me that said, you know, raise that up and, you know, basically push the mic arm out of, out of the way, and this is a stereo headset with the, you know, the little mic boom on it, uh, and, and it mutes it and, uh, you know, slide it back down again and it, and it turns it on. Um, pretty slick. The... 
main issue I had was I tried to use it directly with my laptop over Bluetooth without plugging in their Bluetooth dongle. Uh, and I yeah. talked to their support and they said, actually, we don't really test that. That's not part of what we do. We supply it with a dongle that just auto-pairs, it works. Yeah. You plug that in and it's just connected. And so they test that in order to get it to work um, flawlessly. And so, um, it, it, yeah, just word, word to the wise, if you're expecting to well, get Bluetooth might to work. Well, be a non-standard Bluetooth. It could be something else. I, I well, you can use it without, but yeah. then some of their premium features sort of, you know, drop out. So you just have to be aware that there will be there will be some difference. And of course, you can pair it to multiple devices to your smartphone and your laptop and and so on over Bluetooth. Um, but using it with their own Bluetooth dongle, that's when you get the the best sort of support. And the other thing is with all of the Jabra devices, I'm finding firmware uptake before you do anything yeah. uh, because there seem to be you know bug fixes and improvements and they might not work perfectly at first but they're going to work at their best with the latest firmware update now I found that uh, especially you know with with that one um, the other product that I tried is Jabra have got this new camera out called Panacast now this is a company that they actually bought that make this um, camera for video conferencing and it's designed for sort of smaller they call them huddle rooms where you've got a, you know, a few people maybe huddled around a, a camera and a, uh, a little audio you know, conferencing unit. And it's designed to be able to do, it can do a 4K resolution in terms of width, um, but what it does is it has three cameras and oh, yeah. it overlays the video from these three cameras so very wide and it will auto-adjust auto accordingly. So it'll crop it down if there's, say, just one person. And it seemed like a really, really nice concept yeah. because uh, the way that it that it brings it together gives you a you know the viewer at the other end a much you know a much better image yeah. when it works. But what I found was sometimes maybe it was to do with my glasses, my I don't know what it was, um, but something in terms of its facial recognition. And it would it would end up cropping the image, you know, like halfway through my head. Um, so because it uses software to do that, you have to install their software layer, make sure you got the firmware updates and so on. And look, some of the time it would work absolutely flawlessly, um, but other times I would get you know partly uh, partly chopped. But if it was working flawlessly, absolutely brilliant, great concept. Um, reasonably pricey. I think it's about a sixteen hundred dollars oh. sort of you know retail for the unit. But when you you know there are uh, you know a bunch of Logitech and others who do their their conference cams and and so on. And this is is quite a unique offering in the market, um, reminiscent of the product which um, Polycom ended up picking up now called Poly. Um, their product that they picked up from Microsoft, which was the full 360 yeah, degree, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. conference room camera, you'd put it in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not not quite sure what you know what happened to to that. Didn't really get the pickup, but I mean, this is is yeah, I guess it's half of that product. It's got three cameras in it. They could create a, yeah. a variation. Maybe once their software is perfect, uh, we, we, we will see a, a new variation. So, um, yeah, we, we'll just have to see how that plays out anyway. Well, video cameras definitely the definitely a thing to have at the moment, isn't it? Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, not, 
working from home though so much now yeah. um, for a, a lot. Although it does, you know, it, it does seem to be that the you know, the average amount of time that people are spending working from home, you know, post lockdown is a lot more than what it was uh, before but, lockdown. But even if you're not working from home, even if you're working in Auckland, you're not going to be flying anywhere other than, well, you might fly to Christchurch or Wellington, but you're not going to be flying anywhere for some time yet. And even, I understand even people, even with internal flights, some companies are not doing that. They're, they're doing um, teleconferencing rather than, you know, the internal flights. Um, and I heard one company which only allows people to drive between cities, which is... Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Roll on the autonomous, uh, the autonomous yeah. vehicles. More software updates from Tesla. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you, uh, Bill. It's been great to uh, catch up again. It's nice to uh, to be you know well out of lockdown here. I hope oh. that uh, continues. And yeah, great great to have. Uh, Lots of new technologies, you know, starting to flow through, and and there there seems to be a lot of activity in the in the local market. So um, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm upbeat on uh, on where things will will head next. Although I'm you know I'm still uh, keen to see some some movement on the government front from a, a strategic perspective as far as you know taking advantage of this this window of time where we're in you know a reasonably unique place as a as a country and that we're uh, you know we're covid free outside of uh, um, the borders and uh, yeah there's there's some opportunities that we should be looking at well if you're going to be stuck anywhere this is a damn good place to be stuck as well it is, isn't it? It is yeah. <laughs> alright thanks Bill now where do people um, oh. check, you know find out online what you've been up to you've yeah. been posting you know a fair bit on your uh, on, on your blog reviews yeah. and, and, and articles yeah billbennett.co.nz is my um, is my site um, and I've been doing yeah I've been doing more lately um, I Towards the end of the lockdown, I thought, well, I could, you know, spend some more time playing games on my computer. I could actually do some work, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so I did. Um, and um, and the thing is, is that I find that once you get into the flow of that, it becomes easier to keep the flow going. Um, and and I'm on Twitter as Bill Bill Bennett NZ, um, and that's about it. I tend not to use the other social networks. In fact, I don't think I've got an account on any of them anymore. I so. tried to tag you on LinkedIn, Bill. Couldn't find you. No, I've gone. I, I, <laughs> I left about five years ago. And I, I wonder if it might be time to go back. But that's another that's a, another story entirely. All right. Well, yeah, we're hoping you'll be you'll you'll be back. All right. Well, thanks, Bill, and thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, always fantastic. Uh, having you here and you know the show only keeps going because of our awesome uh, listeners and our audience and feel free to pass back any feedback through our uh, social media channels uh, across LinkedIn at Facebook and uh, and Twitter and you know you're welcome to track me down and, and email me um, via my website at paulspain.com all right thanks everyone see ya New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.